This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm an executive coach and the author of Find Your Happy at Work. One thing I know about being happy at work and successful is that much of your life is shaped by small choices you make all day long. But if you're like most of us, many of those choices are not very good. So today, we're talking about how to make better decisions. And our expert guest, Dr. Jim Lair, has all the latest research on exactly how to do that. Jim is a world-renowned performance psychologist and an extraordinary thought leader. And he's helped thousands of leaders and top athletes to be at the top of their game. Jim is also the author or co-author of 18 books. And today we'll talk about his most recent one, Wise Decisions, a Science-Based Approach to Making Better Choices. Jim will share some of the book's tips about how to focus your energy so that you're healthier, happier, and better able to navigate your endless process of decision-making. Jim, thank you so much for being here today on Jazzed About Work. I'm so excited because I've I've followed your uh, career and read some of your books, and I'm honored to have you with us today. Well, thank you, Bev. I'm excited to be with you, and I uh, hope we can create some value for your audience. I'm sure that we're going to do that. This is going to be a, a, a great conversation, I think. What we're going to talk about today, mostly, is um, your recent book, Wise Decisions, a Science-Based Approach to Making Better Choices. But before uh, we do that, I think it would be helpful if we hear a little bit about your career. I, I think that uh, people might have heard of you in different contexts. It, it might be uh, about managing energy or, or, or mental toughness or things like that. Could you tell us about how your career has evolved? And, and what I really want to get to then is how out of all of the um, areas where you've been offering really helpful uh, guidance, uh, how we focused on decision-making is, is where it's really at. So could you give us a bit of your uh, background? Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, my my history uh, in this space is uh, it's a little bit uh, convoluted. I went and got my master's and doctorate in psychology, and I specialized in community mental health. And um, became a licensed psychologist in the state of Colorado. And I received a pretty big job right out of school. And after I did my, you know, um, two years of, you know, resident, all that stuff. And uh, I became chief psychologist and executive director of a very large community mental health center system that served the whole central and southern part of Colorado. We had 8,600 square mile catchment area, nine offices. It was a big staff. It was a big operation. That's what I thought I'd be doing for the rest of my career. I was kind of at the top of my career in a way. 
And I ran into an exercise, brilliant exercise physiologist in the catchment area that I was located. Um, and uh, his name is Dr. Joe Vigil. And he was a legend, an Olympic legend. And uh, he and I became good friends. And he kept asking me over and over again, Jim, as a psychologist, what can you tell me to help me get more out of my athletes, to help them become better performers um, on the athletic stage? And I looked at him like a deer in headlights and I said, Joe, I have no idea. I know how to take people who are not doing very well, who are struggling with health, mental health issues, try to help them to get better. But I have no idea how to take someone who's just pretty pretty normal and, uh, you know, the mainstream of life and help them to become extraordinary. And he said, well, you know, it's going to be a huge, this is back in the 70s. And he said, you know, this is going to be a big field. You love to do adventurous new things. And he said, this is going to be a very big area. So I did all kinds of literature searches and tried to help him work with some of his runners and a bunch of uh, opportunities that came up as a result of my interaction with him. And eventually I resigned to a 23-member board of directors. They thought I had duly lost my mind. They pretty much doubled my salary. And I said, no, 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 I'm going to go apply psychology to human performance. And they thought I had wow. duly lost my mind. And uh, so then I moved to Denver, set up a private practice. Eventually moved. I didn't know anything. I didn't. There was no place to go to get, a, you know, to get more competency. So I went to the Jimmy Connors United States Tennis Center and ran that facility with the proviso that I could get inside Jimmy Connors' brain, take videos, and study him for a couple of years. That was in Sanibel Harbor, Florida. And then I went six years to the Nick Bellatieri Tennis Academy, became director of sports science and director of sports psychology. And that was worth two PhDs on top of what I had because I had access to all these kids and I used all this sophisticated telemetry. I'm a data guy. I love collecting data and science. And that's where I got all my insights about energy management and the, the working with the whole person, as opposed to just looking at them as athlete, really the person first and the athlete second. Then I joined forces and started the Human Performance Institute with Dr. Jack Groppel, who had his PhD in bioengineering. And we set out to develop a a program that would be uh, focused on helping individuals and teams perform to the highest level possible under uh, extreme environments, high stress environments with one caveat without compromising their health and their happiness. And uh, we, uh, we had quite a run. Um, we worked, I suppose to date, some 400,000 people have gone through that intensive, very intensive program and uh, we had instructors who were probably the greatest assembly, uh, you know, the, we assembled maybe the greatest faculty in high performance. We had former commander of the SEALs, former commander of the Blue Angels, um, senior um, instructor at the Air Force Academy and fighter pilot. We had Dan Jansen, an Olympic gold medalist, uh, Paul Wiley silver medalist, all kinds of just incredible people. And uh, we work with just about every avenue of high performance from medicine, surgeons, surgery, I mean, critical care workers. And 
It was a living laboratory of high performance from sumo wrestlers. One sumo wrestler spent six months with this chess champions, international chess champions. We had 17 number ones in the world in sport and, uh, you know, special forces in the military, FBI, hostage rescue teams. And that's where we really put, you know, the, the, the real understanding of how the human system works from a science perspective. And we sold the company to Johnson and Johnson, and uh, um, and that uh, was a great honor. One of the most you know memorable. We were very profitable and, and very successful. And since then, I have um, been involved in doing a lot of work and writing and uh, consulting. And um, so it's kind of a long it's a long way to get to your to your answer. But I will tell you. Out of all that I've experienced, I've I've written 18 books, and when I look at my career, and I have three sons, and I have seven grandchildren, and when I look at all the things that I have learned, all the data that we collected, when I put it all together, and I looked at the trajectory of people's lives, whether they're young, middle-aged, or on the outskirts of... Uh, of, of the life's envelope, um, the most important element by far that determines our future is our ability to make good choices, um, our ability to tap into this reservoir of wisdom and make wise decisions. Um, and if you don't get that right, um, I, I will tell you what we've looked at from a science. It's the first book that we could find. And I wrote this with Dr. Sheila Olson Walker, who has her PhD in behavioral genetics and is a senior scientist at Tufts University, John Hopkins University, brilliant woman. And we were committed. We both came to the same conclusion. We serve on a board, the Youth Performance Institute, which is an offshoot of the Human Performance Institute, but applied to children. And we did this intensive search about what are the most critical factors uh, throughout the lifespan. And our conclusion was decision-making. And what is really interesting, and I'm still baffled by it, no one teaches it. No one teaches it in school. Parents don't have any idea how to teach it. It's not talked about in high schools or even in colleges. There are courses around it. And in the corporate world, no one really has gotten into that, really, um, the, the grist of how great decisions are made and why and how, um, you know, leaders are making, you know, faulty decisions that may, in fact, cost um, the company um, in, in incredible ways and lead to layoffs of all kinds. And so it's really, uh, it's been a long journey, but I will tell you, I am convinced the most important competency we have as human beings is the ability to make really good decisions. And it is a learned skill. It's not something we're born with. I, I am in awe. Um, uh, you have been uh, uh, at the very beginning of positive psychology and understanding the plasticity of our brains and understanding that well-being, you know, mind-body connections are part of everything. And um, you really put your finger on a huge gap. As, a, as an executive coach, 
I know that part of the secret of coaching is that we help people slow things down, look at the big picture, and make better choices, better decisions. Um, and that if after a while of coaching or in a culture where there's lots of coaching, it can have an impact on how decision making is made. But I've been looking for your book for years. I, I want to have a better sense of how and why the whole system works. And it, it sounds like what you have done in order to reach this point, to do the research, is that you have been a leader in understanding that overall wellness, the, the quality of our mental, physical, emotional, spiritual health, all of those things are kind of a base level of shaping and understanding uh, decision-making. Do, do I have that right? Is that kind of a Yes, you have it completely right, uh, Bev. It's, we are complex creatures, and um, you can't really look at the system in bits and pieces. That's part of the problem with medicine. When you specialize so much and you only see one small piece of the total um, person, you get a skewed view. And what we've tried to do in all of our work is to take the whole person and look at how everything is integrated. It's a magnificently integrated system. The mind and body work in harmony and what's true for the body is true for the mind. And you can't really separate them. As soon as you do, you really start getting a, a flawed, skewed picture of how the whole system works. So you're 100% right. And it's, uh, it's so interesting that I have one foot in the scientific literature, and, but I'm also an applied person. I consider myself an applied psychologist. And Sheila is very much the same. Um, we really want to, we want evidence-based um, practice, but we also want to be able, be able to do it in a, in a way that's people, that it's accessible for people. And when we wrote this book, Wise Decisions, we said, we want this to be practical. The next version of this will be for children. And how do we teach it? How do parents teach their kids to make better choices? And every day we're going to make, you know, in, in a single, if you just start counting the number of decisions you make in a given hour, just make a mark on a little sheet and you will be absolutely stunned. You, you literally in a day, you make thousands of decisions. Many of them are just really just so automatic. They just fly right through the air. But it's everything from you know, uh, are you going to push the snooze alarm or are you going to have breakfast? What are you going to have for breakfast? Am I going to eat this or that? Am I going to skip breakfast because I'm late? How, which route am I going to take? It's kind of snowy out. Maybe I should go this way. The, how fast should I be going? Um, am I, did I prepare last night? Um, I didn't spend the time. I chose not to. I watched the TV show. It goes on and on and on. And what we've learned is even the little decisions become really powerful levers for uh, creating a trajectory in our lives. And at the moment, we have no idea the fact that we didn't have breakfast, the fact that we uh, didn't work out today, or that we, uh, we didn't call home and connect with maybe a loved one because we just got a little lazy those can have repercussions that we are totally unaware of in the moment. And so the book is about 
trying to help people understand this is the sacred space in our lives. We're the only species that can actually choose which direction you want to go. And it's all made possible by this miraculous evolutionary upgrade called this capacity for reflective consciousness. Um, biological science just has no idea how this has happened, but our brains evolved so that the brain itself can actually observe how it's actually functioning. We can watch how, how our brains are working, the choices we can stand above ourselves and kind of look and say, wait a minute, that's a terrible choice. Why am I choosing this? Or you can choose to be purely automatic and never think about any of these things. Or you can choose, to, I'm gonna make these have really part of my habit structure so I don't have to think about them because they're really good for me. But all of this led to this understanding that we have a place in our brains where we make decisions. And um, we, uh, we try to locate specifically in the brain where these decisions are made. But we all have this little advisor inside our heads. And we are, uh, we're, we're hoping that that advisor gives us really, really some great um, wisdom and counsel when we're making decisions. We call that your own decision advisor. And what that spells out is Yoda. And so the it's book is about It's a great name. <laughs> Yoda, your own decision advisor. And we want to equip Yoda with the knowledge and the skills that are necessary to make that the best coach you will ever have, could ever have, in making really smart, wise decisions for you, for your family, for your future, and to help you understand that the most powerful way your children learn to make choices is by watching you and watching you, how your decisions and choices play out over time do you make decisions uh, when you're angry, upset, stressed out? Are you very reactionary? Or are you very kind of intentional, particularly in the big things? And you're, you know, you're trying to get to what you said, this very still space of calmness and reflection. And you look at your values, you look at the things in, in your life that matter most and where you really want to end up in life. What kind of person do you really want to be? as an example for your own children or for those that are you are leading in your company. Um, and, you, and the most important leader skill that you have is to teach people how to make good choices for the business, for themselves, and for their families. So I absolutely believe what you're saying, but here's the hard leap. Here's the hard part. Um, we, I think there's much wider understanding now that our brains and bodies and all of the pieces are, are a system and that we can have an impact on our system and that um, impacts our emotions and our happiness and all kinds of things. But how do you start methodically training your own decision advisor? How, how do you start... Um, building your Yoda like you would if you were, say, one of your um, tennis stars? How, how? What are the practical ways that you can begin to strengthen your um, Yoda so that you start making wiser decisions? 
So that's a great question, Bab, and it's really at the heart of this. And the, uh, the data shows that the most important coach you will ever have is the voice inside your head that no one hears but you. And sometimes, you know, that voice becomes really, it actually starts prenatally. The auditory cortex of the infant actually can pick up messaging and inputs. And eventually, by the age of four or five, there's this very, very crude um, internal narrative that begins to form. And uh, your the voice that you have to yourself is often a reflection of the most important people, the tone and content that they express to you under stress, under you know loving, kind, or just the opposite. And what we found is that voice can be a huge asset or can be a massive liability based on the advice it's giving. Some people have been criticized so heavily in their lives that they have this very very, very, really tough and crude and um, very difficult voice. You, you really uh, are surprised by, you would never say to someone else what you say to yourself, but somehow this got formed. And this is the voice that's advising you on how to be a success in life and to have the life you want to be happy. And you might even be using that voice with your children and it looks like it's almost coded in the genes, but it's because it's from one generation to the other, you're getting the same messaging. So it, it, it is really, uh, the first step is awareness. And so we really have you for a period of time, maybe uh, for a week or two weeks, you just start reflecting and writing down, kind of becoming aware of what is this voice saying to you? What kind of advisor? give it a grade. Do you really think this is the best advisor? Would you be happy if the, the your internal, what we call your inner voice, actually was projected onto a big screen, a jumbotron in a stadium, and you actually would be proud that this is the best coaching you could possibly give? Is this the way you would coach someone that you deeply cared about who was in the same situation? And what people are just absolutely flabbergasted to realize that, that, that their inner voice is not that great a coach. We call that inner voice one. It's untrained. It's not really a very polished. It's really not. It hasn't been equipped with really what we call the right stuff for advising you. And it needs to be, it needs to be uh, trained, needs to be upgraded to give you the, the very best advice. And that is what we call inner voice two, where you've really worked on this. And the best way to work on it is to actually write out a lot of the things you want that voice to say to you. We've learned that writing with your hand or printing with your hand has a much greater impact. It's stickier on this prefrontal cortex, on this executive function um, than, you know, on a keyboard. So, we ask, we, we are very big on journaling and having people script in advance kind of how they want to coach themselves when they get into certain situations that have given them trouble and to become acutely aware of when their voice goes off the rails, when they start ripping on themselves, when they're giving really terrible advice and they'd be ashamed to actually make this voice that they're hearing in their head public. 
So the more you understand that this is the closest to what we call your command center, this is closest to the brain is always listening. It's always waiting for instructions from you. And if you're beating yourself up, if you're saying things that are not constructive, they don't have to always be positive. You can say things like, come on, let's focus now. You're better than this. Let's step up. Uh, let's try to, let's give a little harder effort. Let's stay, let's stay in this and find a solution. Let's use this to learn about how to solve some of the big challenges I have in my life. Um, so you, you actually start educating inner voice one with great, great messaging, and it actually becomes uh, a valuable asset until you die. And you're always upgrading it. You're putting things in there like, you know, um, who are you when you're most proud of yourself? What we call maybe your best self. Um, if you, what is the most important mission that you have in life that you must, what we might call your ultimate mission that you must complete for you to qualify as having a successful life. Those are critical inputs into Yoda. So Yoda has something to reference when it's actually advising you as to whether you should or shouldn't do something. A single bad decision for a, for a teenager to drink and drive to drive at high speeds, to show off your friends, to take drugs. Um, you know, they can be life altering for decades, maybe for an entire lifetime. And yet parents rarely talk about how do you develop this asset and what should we put in there? How do we upload things that are actually going to make um, this internal advisor that's always advising you? You don't really have a choice. It just may be not the advice you would really want to get from anyone that really cared about you. And uh, we have one that is really the most powerful for, I've done this with over thousands of people, and it is by far the single most powerful way for people to get a good handle on how do you navigate in life and how do you get decisions that get you to where you want to go. Ultimately, I call that getting home. Getting home is ending up at the end of your life where you want to end up. And so, as Stephen Covey said, start with the end in mind and then work forward. Um, uh, so you go to the end of your life and you actually have a chance to inscribe, etch in stone, what you want inscribed on your tombstone um, that would be most reflective of a life that of, of true success. If these were true about you, this would be the greatest success possible. So you think about that, and maybe it's just uh, four or five or six words or a sentence or two. And then you work back from that, and we go through this very, very carefully in the book, how to do this. And those, um, those words that are inscribed on that tombstone, that's what we call getting home. So if you want to be a person, a loving, caring mother, father, a person of integrity, of warmth, of compassion, those have to be earned. And that will require lots of decisions, decisions about where to put your energy. You mentioned that in the beginning, Bev, about energy management. My whole approach is around managing your energy. And uh, that is the most important resource we have for doing anything. And if we're out of energy, decision-making uh, becomes a complete nightmare. Sometimes it's called decision fatigue. We've made so many decisions, I don't want to make any more yeah. decisions. Make the decision for me. <laughs> But then you work back and 
that all of your major decisions you vet through, is this going to help me get home? Is this actually going to contribute to where I really want to end up at the end of my life? So now Yoda has been equipped with things that really are going to guide you in the right direction. You're not just going off the handle and making some decision based on some logic. We really want to be logical and access that, you know, that capacity we have for embracing facts and truth and logic. But we also want to look at our emotions. What are our emotions telling us? Emotions have been around a lot longer than this um, advanced neural processor, uh, this cortex and neocortex of the brain. There's so much wisdom in our emotions. And we want to try to decipher what our emotions telling us about that. And then we have this other area that we call our gut, that we have a kind of a gut feeling about something. It's intuition. What is our intuition? And then we want to look at all of that. What does our heart say about this? What is, you know, is is this really the right thing to do from, you know, you know, what I feel like, you know, I'm a caring, loving person. I put all that together and maybe I need to even sleep on it because I'm not in a good place right now for making decisions. And uh, then you come up with your best decision. And that is how you make, um, uh, you know, progress in becoming a better decision maker and teaching those around you. You are a teacher. We are all teaching for better or for worse how to make decisions in life. I think that that's a wonderful description of how it all works. I uh, Just because I think from working with my clients, I think some other people look at it this way. As I stumbled through trying to grow as a person, I thought of myself as having three voices. The first one was kind of uh, crotchety, uh, pessimistic, worrying, kept telling me I was going to fail if I didn't study all night, all of those kind of things. And as a young lawyer, I noticed one day that as I was talking to myself, oh, if you don't get this right, perfect, you know, it's the end of the world. I thought I would never talk to a client the way I'm talking to myself. So I started trying to get a second voice, which was much more logical and kinder, but still very logical. And that was the second voice, but it was the third voice that took me a really long time to get to, to realize that um, even um, in, in journaling helps with this, as you said, that the third voice is not all logic. It's not all lawyering. It's not all whatever your technology is. It's knowing in your gut. It is understanding. Sometimes you know the answer, you know the values, you know how to behave, and there's no um, need to try to articulate it in lawyer-like language. Uh, you just, uh, you, I guess, I like the idea that you're home, you know. Is that kind of the same thing? You're, you're, uh, that's exactly the process, what you called your, your, your inner voice three, we call your inner voice two. And um, from an untrained to a highly trained, very, very competent, but it's never finished. You're always working to get it better so that you make better choices and for yourself and for others. 
but that's exactly the process. And um, you, you, you check all the different bases. You don't just check the logic. You don't just check. Uh, and you look at what kind of emotional state you're in at the moment. If you're depressed, sad, if you're overly happy, you're just on top of the world. Sometimes those cloud emotions can cloud our ability to make good decisions. So we want to be in a very, you know, balanced place. Um, the body loves, it's called homeostasis. It loves to be in balance. And if you're too excited or if you're too depressed or sad or anxious or nervous, those, um, the, that chemistry, that internal chemistry can affect our ability to, to really assess what's going on clearly. So sometimes it's just better to go for a nature walk, go for a walk, get a little exercise, uh, talk with someone you deeply care about, having a having some folks that just make you feel good and connect to really the best part of you before you make those decisions. But that's all part of your Yoda advising you saying, wait a minute, you're not ready to make this decision. You make this decision now, you're likely going to regret it later. Let's uh, let's get this right. And, uh, you know, when you said you realize that you speak to yourself in a way, sometimes you would never speak to any of your clients or someone you cared about. That is probably one of the big insights that we all need to get is that I would never speak to other people the way I speak to myself. Why do I do that? Do I really believe it's helping me when, in fact, the brain is always listening and these inputs, you know, I learned this through in the world of tennis and sports. If you say to yourself, I'm never going to have a good forehand. I hate my forehand. My, my forehand's going to be my nemesis until I die. Your brain is hearing that. And that coaching advice is probably going to be a limiting factor neurologically. And so your Yoda is really not helping you get it. Rather than that, maybe you should be saying, you know, my forehand right now is not that great. But I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm willing to put in the time and the energy, whatever necessary. One day I'm going to have one of the greatest forehands that tennis has ever seen. And every day I'm going to get better. That's the way you want to coach and train your brain to wrap around these issues. That's one's in, that's an example in sport. But that example should apply to every arena of life. You face the truth. You're not making stuff up, but with effort and with dedication, I'm going to get this right. I'm not a great decision maker now. I've not been a great example for my children. But I tell you what, I'm going to get better in every opportunity I have. When my, let's say I have a two or three-year-old daughter or son who's throwing a temper tantrum in a restaurant, rather than just flying off the handle and pulling them out and making them go outside and scolding them, you let them know, wait a minute, you're making, you know, even at a very primitive age, they understand. You take them outside and say, listen, you have an option here. I would love to go in and have dinner with the rest of the family, but we are being disruptive here. And you have a choice. We can stay out here and we're not going to get dinner with everyone else. Or you can settle down. I don't know what you're upset about. You can try to communicate that to me. But I just want you to know we can't we can't do that. But you have a choice if you want to go back in and eat and be with everyone, because that's what I would like. Or you can be out here and we just because we can't do that. And so you always give them choices and you do it in a way that doesn't really demean them. You give them an opportunity to start making better choices with food, 
with with all kinds of things that they're doing. And then you're beginning to develop that asset, that competency from the youngest of um, interactions in the world. Let them know the most sacred thing they have as a human being is the ability to choose this choose this space between the stimulus, whatever it is, and the response that is the sacred space. Well, this is a wonderful book. You have fabulous advice. Let me uh, repeat the the full title. It's Wise Decisions, A Science-Based Approach to Making Better Choices. And um, a few minutes ago, you mentioned some things that people could do right now, right today, even before they go out and buy your book, if they want to just get started in finding a, a wiser space. You suggested people pause, they talk to someone, they go outside in nature. There, there are a lot of things that we can do right now, uh, aren't there? Absolutely. Do you have any more suggestions for people who, who are now inspired and want to start right now? I would uh, begin with just an awareness. Uh, most people just have never even thought about their inner voice, um, and it's maybe it's very raw and very you know very rough, and it, the language is just not not one that you would want to be representative of the best coach for anyone, and certainly not for you. And uh, so start you know, just being aware of it and maybe write down when you're kind of shocked, where did that come from? Why am I saying that to myself? Why am I calling myself an idiot or stupid all the time? Or, you know, there's so many things that pop up and then you suddenly realize when you're about to make a decision, this is the best coaching I could give myself. This is really off the rails. But I would start with awareness and then realize that we need to have a place to go to make good decisions. And we need to, you know, really equip that special place, which is what we call Yoda, um, your own decision advisor. We're all getting advice from somewhere. And that, that private voice is really where the advice is coming from. We all have a public voice. And the public voice is what I'm speaking to you now. But my public voice is going somehow into your head and it's being interpreted and there's meaning being made from it and something is happening and it's being internalized in your inner world, your private world, your inner voice will begin to make whatever meaning out of it it chooses to. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful that my public voice will somehow be integrated in a, in a constructive way informing your private voice, your inner voice. And we'll move from this primitive inner voice one to a much more sophisticated and balanced and really a wise inner voice two. And I've spent my life, you know, working with extraordinary people from just about every facet of life. And this holds true in anything and everything you do in any high stress, high pressure situation, including raising kids. And I've raised three boys and I have, as I said, seven grandkids. And every opportunity I have, I want them to understand that every day is another opportunity to practice making better choices. Thank you, Jim. This has been fabulous. I um, am so um, grateful to have you here today and I 
I'm hoping that we have lots of listeners who are going to start to think about their thinking in different kinds of ways. So thank you for for being with us today. It was a really joy being with you, Bev, and I hope we move the needle a little bit with some of the listeners and that we can make things a little better just by this conversation you and I have had with each other. I hope so too, and I hope we all have a great day. Thank you. Today we've been talking with performance psychologist Jim Lair about how you can make better decisions. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. And our sponsor is the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Service at Ohio University. Today's tip is that you can cultivate a wiser, more helpful inner voice. It's kind of like building a muscle, and you can keep working on it for the rest of your life, getting better and better. Thanks for listening to Jazzed About Work. And if you enjoy our show, please do us a favor. Tell your friends or give us a five-star rating. Music